episode 11. And had you heard from, Ron began, but at a look from Hermione, he fell silent. Harry knew Ron had been about to ask about Sirius. Ron and Hermione had been so deeply involved in helping Sirius escape from the Ministry of Magic that they were almost as concerned about Harry's godfather as he was. However, discussing him in front of Ginny was a bad idea. Nobody but themselves and Professor Dumbledore knew about how Sirius had escaped or believed in his innocence. I think they've stopped arguing, said Hermione to cover the awkward moment, because Ginny was looking curiously from Ron to Harry. Shall we go down and help your mum with dinner? Yeah, all right, said Ron. The four of them left Ron's room and went back downstairs to find Mrs. Weasley alone in the kitchen, looking extremely bad-tempered. They're eating out in the garden, she said when they came in. There's just not room for eleven people in here. Could you take the plates outside, girls? Bill and Charlie are setting up the tables. Knives and forks, please, you two, she said to Ron and Harry, pointing her wand a little more vigorously than she had intended at a pile of potatoes in the sink, which shot out of their skin so fast that they ricocheted off the walls and ceilings. Oh, for heaven's sake, she snapped, now directing her wand at a dustpan, which hopped off the side and started skating across the floor, scooping up the potatoes. Those two, she burst out savagely, now pulling pots and pans out of a cupboard. And Harry knew she meant Fred and George. I don't know what's going to happen to them. I really don't. No ambition, unless you count making as much trouble as they possibly can. She slammed a large copper saucepan down on the kitchen table and began to wave her wand around inside it. A creamy sauce poured from the wand tip as she stirred. It's not as though they haven't got brains, she continued irritably, taking the saucepan over to the stove and lighting it with a further poke of her wand. But they're wasting them, and unless they pull themselves together soon, they'll be in real trouble. I've had more owls from Hogwarts about them than the rest put together. If they carry on the way they're going, they'll end up in front of the improper use of magic office. Mrs. Weasley jabbed her wand at the cutlery drawer, which shot open. Harry and Ron jumped out of the way as several knives soared out of it, flew across the kitchen, and began chopping the potatoes, which had just been tipped back into the sink by the dustpan. I don't know where we went wrong with them, said Mrs. Weasley, putting down her wand and starting to pull out still more saucepans. It's been the same for years, one thing after another, and they won't listen to... Oh, not again! She had picked up her wand from the table, and it had emitted a loud squeak and turned into a giant rubber mouse. One of their fake wands again, she shouted. How many times have I told those two not to leave them lying around? She grabbed her real wand and turned around to find that the sauce on the stove was smoking. Come on, Ron said hurriedly to Harry, seizing a handful of cut from the open drawer. Let's go and help Bill and Charlie. They left Mrs. Weasley and headed out of the back door into the yard. 
They had only gone a few paces when Hermione's bandy-legged ginger cat Crookshanks came pelting out of the garden, bottle-brush tail held high in the air, chasing what looked like a muddy potato on legs. Harry recognized it instantly as a gnome. Barely ten inches high, its horny little feet pattered very fast as it sprinted across the yard and dived headlong into one of the Wellington boots that lay scattered around the door. Harry could hear the gnome giggling madly as Crookshanks inserted a paw into the boot, trying to reach it. Meanwhile, a very loud crashing noise was coming from the other side of the house. The source of the commotion was revealed as they entered the garden and saw that Bill and Charlie both had their wands out and were making two battered old tables fly high above the lawn, smashing into each other, each attempting to knock the others out of the air. Fred and George were cheering, Ginny was laughing, and Hermione was hovering near the edge, apparently torn between amusement and anxiety. Bill's table caught Charlie's with a huge bang and knocked one of its legs off. There was a clatter from overhead, and they all looked up to see Percy's head poking out of a window on the second floor. Will you keep it down? he bellowed. Sorry, Pers, said Bill, grinning. How are the cauldron bottoms coming on? Very badly, said Percy peevishly, and he slammed the window shut again. Chuckling, Bill and Charlie directed the table safely onto the grass, end to end, and then, with a flick of his wand, Bill reattached the table leg and conjured tablecloths from nowhere. By seven o'clock, the two tables were groaning under dishes and dishes of Mrs. Weasley's excellent cooking, and the nine Weasleys, Harry, and Hermione were settling themselves down to eat beneath a clear, deep blue sky. To somebody who had been living on meals of increasingly stale cake all summer, this was paradise. And at first, Harry listened rather than talked, as he helped himself to chicken and ham pie, boiled potatoes, and salad. At the far end of the table, Percy was telling his father all about his report on cauldron bottoms. I've told Mr. Grouch that I'll have it ready by Tuesday, Percy was saying pompously. That's a bit sooner than he expected it, but I like to keep on top of things. I think he'll be grateful I've done it in good time. I mean, it's extremely busy in our department just now, what with all the arrangements for the World Cup. We're not just getting the support we need from the Department of Magical Games and Sports. Ludo Bagman. I like Ludo, said Mr. Weasley mildly. He was the one who got us such good tickets for the cup. I did him a bit of a favor. His brother Otto got into a spot of trouble. A lawnmower with unnatural powers. I smoothed the whole thing over. Oh, Bagman's likable enough, of course, said Percy dismissively. But how he ever got to be head of department? When I compare him to Mr. Crouch, I can't see Mr. Crouch losing a member of our department and not trying to find out what's happened to them. You realize Bertha Jorgens has been missing for over a month now, went on holiday to Albania and never came back?
Yes, I was asking Ludo about that, said Mr. Weasley, frowning. He says Bertha's got lost plenty of times before now. Though I must say, if it was someone in my department, I'd be worried. Oh, Bertha's hopeless, all right, said Percy. I hear she's been shunted from department to department for years. Much more trouble than she's worth. But all the same, Bagman ought to be trying to find her. Mr. Crouch has been taking a personal interest. She worked in our department at one time, you know, and I think Mr. Crouch was quite fond of her. But Bagman just keeps laughing and saying she probably misread the map and ended up in Australia instead of Albania. <sighs> However, Percy heaved an impressive sigh and took a deep swig of elderflower wine. We've got quite enough on our plates at the Department of International Magical Cooperation without trying to find members of other departments, too. As you know, we've got another big event to organize right after the World Cup. <coughs> he cleared his throat significantly and looked down toward the end of the table where Harry, Ron, and Hermione were sitting. You know the one I'm talking about, Father, he raised his voice slightly. The top secret one. Ron rolled his eyes and muttered to Harry and Hermione. He's been trying to get us to ask what that event is ever since he started work. Probably an exhibition of thick-bottom cauldrons. <laughs>